This week on Myths and Legends, we're finally back in the world of King Arthur. You'll learn that having your mom demand you become a knight of the round table with no experience whatsoever is a great look for a young warrior, and that if you're rescuing a princess, you're going to want to make sure you're not actually kidnapping her. Then, on the Creature of the Week, it's a stinky, greasy guy who just wants to sleep in your bed. This is Myths and Legends, episode 233A, The Boy With No Name. This is a podcast where we tell stories from mythology and folklore. Some are incredibly popular stories you might think you know, but with surprising origins. Others are stories that might be new to you, but are definitely worth a listen. King Arthur's back. It's been a while. Partly because we were slowly being crushed under the weight of our own continuity, and partly because I had written myself into a corner. But it's been almost two years since we've had an Arthur episode. That all changes like, well, I mean, you're listening to an Arthur episode, so... Now, basically, we're doing a soft reboot of our Arthur story. So this is the place to jump in. Everything up to this point is still canon, minus some Lancelot stuff, but that will be immediately apparent to someone who has stayed up on all of it but it's not necessary to have heard every little thing to pick Arthur back up here, or even just to start our Arthur stories. For some context, we're in Arthur's golden age, so the 6th century AD. King Arthur drew the sword from the stone and became king. He subdued the Saxons, the invaders from the continent, and won his own civil war. He married Guinevere, became the, became the Roman emperor because, sure, and was betrayed by his half-sister, Morgan Le Fay, where he lost the one thing that could have always kept him safe, Excalibur's scabbard. He still has Excalibur, though, the famous sword, given to him by a lady of the lake, a member of a strange and mysterious magical order that lives in lakes. Let's say the lakes are magical illusion lakes to hide the gateway to the fairy realms. Anyway, now we're settling in to a nice, peaceful rule. Peaceful because, well, he has the Knights of the Round Table, Gawain, Yvain, Pelinor, not Lancelot, and others to keep the peace and to go on adventures in his lands. They are the greatest fighting force the world has ever known up to this particular point in history. And today, we jump in with a kid who wants to join that order, who will grow to be its most famous knight. It's a kid we've talked about before, but while the first time I introduced him tracked with the actual first time he was mentioned in world literature, it is completely out of bounds with the canonical story of Arthur as he came to be. So, thus, this soft reboot. Anyway, today we start the story of a kid who is traveling with his foster mother to join the Knights of the Round Table, a kid who doesn't know his own name. boy rode along his mother. Well, not his biological mother. She was very clear on that. He was a foundling. He had been abandoned, and she raised him. She never told him who he was, but she did tell him who he wasn't. He wasn't one of them. He wasn't, like her, a native of the fairy realms where he had been raised. She had been training him for the day when he was to leave those realms. This day, when they crossed the channel, she warned the boy to be careful. She seemed rattled after a man, an old man, appeared at the docks. The lady and the old man talked to each other, and the pair kissed 
before the old man watched them go as she glanced over her shoulder back at the old man by the sea. She told the boy that this land, Britain, was cursed. And the king here, Arthur, he was doomed. He tried to make good choices, honorable choices, but the rot was already beginning to eat away at the roots. His kingdom would be dead before anyone even knew what was going on. The boy asked if anything could be done. The woman nodded. Of course, something can always be done, but would it? And in time, that remained to be seen. Still, right now, Arthur is the greatest king in the world, and his knights are the most renowned warriors, so that is where he, the boy, belonged. She turned to the boy with a smile. The horses pressed against the ground as the pair started to climb. They had been riding for days through Britain at this point, and the forest was thick, and the boy looked around. Bandits, dragons could hide here, but the woman wasn't worried, so he wasn't worried. He was excited. He had spent 18 years in a lake in the fairy realms. Now, he was here. They crested the hill and emerged from the forest to see it. Camelot. A white-walled fortress rose among the cliffs with a castle town hemmed in by outer walls. It was as if the forest chased the city up a hill toward the cliffs. But Camelot, with its spires and its castle town, made a final stand there, pushing the wilderness back. Where they stood, Camelot, at the top of the hill in front of them, seemed to float among the clouds themselves. The lady looked over with a smirk at the awestruck boy, and then allowed herself a moment. Even after everything she had endured in this place, it still filled her with a sense of wonder. It was Friday morning, St. George's Day, and there was a feast waiting for him. Arthur pinched the bridge of his nose. Why was he doing this again? A courtier explained that he knew this was an inconvenience, but she was a very important lady. As their heels clicked on the cool stone floor, the morning light above them catching dust motes floating through the air, Arthur said he understood that she was important, but who was she? The courtier paused. He didn't rightly know. Arthur sighed as he dropped into a seat. Fantastic. Would someone find Merlin? This was seeming more and more like his area. Arthur waved a hand to catch the servant before he left. Oh, and would he mind getting Arthur a goblet of something, anything? Didn't really matter what. But something to take the edge off last night's festivities. They ran late. Again. The man nodded to his king, of course. He rushed off. Arthur pushed back at the encroaching headache as he heard the doors lurch in the outer chamber. He remembered when he first saw this place, this fortress. He had been little more than a boy then. Newly married, the Saxons freshly defeated, the land cheered his name. What happened? Arthur, the conqueror, the liberator, became Arthur the king. That's what happened. He was roused from thought when a goblet rang out upon touching his side table. Arthur took a deep drink of the warm red liquid, and when he set it down, she was there. Arthur nodded to the woman, 
who glanced around the hall, saying that the hall was empty, you were unexpected, and a feast is at hand. Please, ask what you will, my lady... Arthur raised his goblet. Lady of the lake, the woman said. Arthur froze, then set the goblet down without a sip. Lady of the lake. He turned to the attendant. Find Merlin. Now. He won't be returning for some time, the woman said. Arthur nodded. Of course not. He was never around when you needed him. The Lady of the Lake said that she was happy not to receive the welcome that one of the sisters of her order had, years ago. Arthur instinctively looked to the spot where one of his knights had beheaded a Lady of the Lake, and the spot where the head had rolled to a stop. That was an accident, Arthur started, but the Lady of the Lake cut him off. It had happened in his court, after another one of her sisters had given him Excalibur. Arthur's hand fell to the mythical sword at his side. He was glad none of his knights were in attendance. How can I make things right? The Lady of the Lake smiled. This boy. He was 18. Knight him. Arthur laughed. Knight him. Seriously. He's a boy. Had he even spent time as a page, a squire? Could he fight? Could this child stand alongside Gawain, Yvain, Kay, Pelinor, Balin? As the king listed names. The boy looked to the stone floor, but the lady kept looking at King Arthur. Arthur groaned and took another long swig from his goblet. Fine. There was a ceremony tomorrow. Was that all? Would the Lady of the Lake be staying with them? The Lady of the Lake shook her head. No, she had to leave at once. She had a prior engagement across the channel. Arthur might have said that a simple no would have been fine. He didn't actually care. He was just being polite. He nodded to the lady and the boy. Tomorrow, then. When the king had gone, the lady and the boy were left alone in the wide room. They could hear the waves crashing against the rocks outside as the mid-morning sun began to warm the stones. The lady of the lake turned to the boy, her ward of 18 years. She took his face into her hands and kissed his forehead and cheeks and eyes, the story says. When she finished, the boy could see the tears trailing down her face. She held a hand out. She said it was a ring. She said that this ring had the power to uncover and reveal all magical spells. It was a power that had saved her life once. It would help him on his travels. She told him that he would be the greatest of King Arthur's knights, sought after by all men and loved by all women. If he meets a challenge that with all of his God-given skills he can't meet, remember that there was no man born who could do so in his place. The boy, through his own tears, cocked an eyebrow. Wait, was that encouraging? Just then, they heard the doors at the far end. The boy turned, and a tall, blonde knight strode in. The boy waved as the knight walked up to him, and said that this here was his foster mother. Who? the man asked. The boy turned to where the lady had been standing. She was gone. Uh... No one, the boy said. He bowed to the knight. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, I am Sir Yvain, the man said, smirking. And he waited. And waited. The boy chimed in. Hi, Yvain. What's going on? Yvain was confused. No 
cheering studio audience when a fan favorite enters. Different tone for these stories now? Different tone, cool. I'll rerun that line. Well, I'm Sir Yvain, the man said. King Arthur told me that you need someone to show you the ropes. And I drew the short straw. I mean, wanted to help out the new guy. The boy, though, was distracted, looking at the entryway, far off. Who or what was that? Oh yeah, that was just his lion best friend. He had a fun little adventure once, where he saved a lion from a dragon, and then the lion saved his life constantly, so now he stays in Yvain's apartment with him. Yvain said that he was trying to litter train the lion. It was not going well. Yvain took a deep breath. Welp, it was time for the boy to meet the queen. The boy was confused. Why? Yvain shrugged. Arthur just arrived at the feast and started telling everyone about this new guy who was going to be a knight tomorrow. Arthur did say you were super good looking, like could be a statue good looking. And then the queen really wanted to see the new guy. Arthur was already three goblets deep, so he didn't pick up on the subtext that was basically text. And so we're going to go meet the queen, Yvain said with a clap. He looked the boy over, despite the guy just having come off a trip across Great Britain. Yeah, good looking guy. All right, let's go. As they walked toward the stairs in the back of the room, the boy looked back. Oh, the lion was following them? Yeah, he does that. There's no keeping him away from me. He literally eats doors, Yvain said. Sir Yvain, the boy said, and then paused. That's Welsh, right? Shouldn't that be pronounced Owain or Owen? Shouldn't that be pronounced like Owen? And then he held his nose. Oh my gosh, what was that smell? And uh, moaning? Yvain Grimace, don't worry about that. It was just this night, this whole ridiculous quest. The queen was up one more floor. It was one of the highest rooms in the tower, and the hallway was filled with the sweet smell of perfumes and beautiful tapestries. Everyone's out getting ready for mass, so you'll have to be quick, Yvain said, and opened the door. The room was magnificent with the sounds of the ocean accompanied by warm sunlight hitting all manner of paintings and decorations. But the boy didn't notice the room. The woman's ladies-in-waiting were beautiful. Every night in the kingdom stopped and bowed low for them when they passed. He didn't notice the ladies. He only noticed her. There, in the center of the room, stood the queen, Guinevere. And the boy knew that whether he liked it or not, his life was changed forever on this day. There would always be a before and after this moment. There would always be her. The woman's voice seemed to sing out with a question for the boy, and it took a third repetition for him to actually realize that she was talking to him. And even then, it wasn't her voice that roused him from thought. My wife asked you what your name was, the boy heard the gruff male voice ask him he was suddenly aware that King Arthur was there, sitting next to his wife. How long has he been there? The boy whispered to Yvain, but found that Yvain wasn't standing next to him. He was kneeling. Literally the entire time, the golden-haired knight replied. The boy dropped to a knee. Blushing, he looked up to the king, not daring to make eye contact with Guinevere, lest he lose himself again. He replied that he... He didn't know. The room stopped dead. He didn't know. His own name. The boy said that his foster mother had never told him. He was a foundling. 
He's from Gaul, obviously, Yvain said. He spoke the language, by the way. Gaul was a Roman name from modern-day France, Luxembourg, Belgium, Switzerland, and other places. But Yvain was right. The boy was from Brittany, just across the channel to the south, in France. The queen took the boy's hand, and the text says it was like he was awakened. It was like everything in his life had been leading up to this moment. She asked again what his name was, and again, he said he didn't know. Yvain stepped in. It probably wasn't anything personal. Maybe he was just, like, forbidden from telling anyone his name. You know, night stuff. In truth, this wasn't out of the ordinary. In this time, in these legends, names held a type of power. If someone knew your Christian name, they might have a level of control over you. Still, when the king and queen ask your name, you should tell them your name. They could tell, though, that this boy was highborn, and Arthur had already promised to knight him. The boy was so caught up in Guinevere's smile that he was standing in the hallway before he even realized he wasn't in her presence anymore. Wow, was all the boy could say. Yvain patted him on the back. Well, yeah, that went terribly. But hey, no place to go but up, right? Hopefully. As they were walking back down the stairs, they, once again, covered their noses when they passed one floor. The boy took one look at the heavy oak door and pushed his way through. He found his way into the infirmary, cleared out for all but one night. The boy almost threw up from the smell, Yvain did throw up, and the boy ventured into the room to see the man and all of his additions. The man lay in a bed, blood and pus leaking from his wounds. Protruding from his wounds were arrows, daggers, and there was half of a sword sticking out of his head, the other half going through his head. The knight sat up, causing the leaking blood and pus to squirt a little bit. He waved to the boy. How's it going? The boy shook his head. How, how's it going? What, what is going on? How is this knight still alive? Who did this to him? The man laughed. Kid should see the other guy. The boy asked if it was worse. How could it possibly be worse, though? Well, he's dead, for one, the knight replied, wincing as he laid back down the dagger at his side, slicing him a little bit more. So why don't you just take the weapons out of your body? The man grinned, because he hadn't found a knight brave enough for the task. The boy nodded, yet yeah, looked pretty gross. The man said that that wasn't it. There were terms attached to it. The boy shook his head. Terms? The terms were vengeance. Whoever pulled out these weapons would have to do his utmost to avenge the knight on all those that said they had greater love for the man who did this to him than they had for him. The boy thought about it. That actually didn't seem so bad. Sure. He would, he would not be doing anything, Yvain interrupted. Finally able to compose himself and enter the room, he grabbed the boy by the arm. He wasn't even a knight yet, not even a squire. Yvain yelled back to the man in the bed. The man groaned, oh, well, take him away. He couldn't survive the terms anyway. The boy's shoulders slumped as he made his way to the stairwell. We'll see this boy come to terms with life in Camelot, but that will be right after this. The boy gritted his teeth. He hated this place. 
The other squires wouldn't talk to him. The knights jeered at him. He stayed at the barracks in town with the others, rising early from mass the following morning. He walked behind the group of men who were laughing and talking. They had all come from powerful families all around Great Britain. They were related. They had lived here, trained here. The boy was an outsider. They didn't know of his training, just that his mommy showed up and demanded that he be a knight, which is really what you want when trying to enter a group of tight-knit warriors. They went armed to mass, as was the tradition on the day that the young men were knighted. The boy had said his oath before the king, as they all had, and now they went to mass, and then after that, they would receive their swords, officially being knighted. The feeling, the feeling that he didn't belong here rang in the boy's head as he sat through mass. He could feel it rising within him, an anxiety, a frenzy. He looked at all the other men. They had earned their places, and he would earn his too. He walked behind the others back to the castle. It loomed large as he remembered the Lady of the Lake's advice. If he couldn't complete a task, it couldn't be completed by any man. Which, he still didn't know if that was encouraging or fatalistic, but he was going to choose the former. When they entered the castle, he saw their servants waiting there. The pages and the squires they would take responsibility for the moment they became knights. While the young man waited for King Arthur to arrive, he took his page and his squire aside, telling them to get the horses tacked up and ready. The two young men looked to everyone. Seriously, there was going to be a feast and everything. They were leaving today? No, not today. We're leaving now. Go, I'll meet you in the forest, the boy barked out in a whisper. The page looked to the other men and the older knights. You want to be a knight? Well, your training begins now, at this moment. Go, the boy said. And the two young men rolled their eyes and left the castle. As for the boy, he took one last look at the young men waiting for Arthur and ducked up the stairwell. He didn't want a sword from the king anyway. You sure about this? The knight with a sword, spear, and several arrows jutting out of him asked. The boy nodded. He accepted the terms. The knight was giddy. Yes! Okay, go ahead and do it. The boy pulled the sword in the man's head out first. And yeah, wow, that was fully in the man's brain. Not sure how that worked, but the man breathed a sigh of relief when it was out. When the arrows and the spear and the dagger were removed, he leapt from bed and cracked his neck. Ah, much better. He looked to the boy, standing there with the bloody, pus-soaked weapons. Well, good luck. The boy didn't waste time. Barreling down the stairs, he was leaving. He was smart enough to know that, to have anyone respect him, he couldn't just stay at Camelot. He had to go out into the wide world and win it. His squire and page were already waiting, and he was nearly to the door when Yvain stepped through it. The boy skidded to a stop, but what was Yvain doing here? Yvain pointed to a shovel, he had to scoop his lion's litter box. Wait, what was the boy doing here? Shouldn't he be upstairs at the knighting ceremony? It was just then that they heard the shouts. It was the night that the boy had pledged himself to. 
and pulled out the weapons from his stinky, stinky head. He was cured. The new young knight had saved him. Yvain, Arthur yelled, red in the face moments later. Why did the Lion Knight allow this young man, this incredibly attractive young man, put himself in such danger? The king shrieked to a room of now quite confused courtiers. I thought we were going for a different tone for this part of the series. Yvain shot a look off to the side. Oh, the French Vulgate? The text this is based on is extremely inconsistently into this new guy? Oh, those were the actual words King Arthur said in an 11th century work? Seems like a weird point to fixate on. Okay, and you're saying that in the original, this kid has people following him around town because he's so hot? Wow, okay, I guess we are actually toning this down some. Okay, I'll take it from the attractive young man line. Uncle Artie, Yvain said. The kid could make his own decisions. That's why they made him a knight. The boy stepped in. He said that this was actually perfect for Arthur. He, the boy, was a relative unknown. So if he failed, it wouldn't come back on Arthur. Just a foolhardy young knight who accepted a quest he wasn't ready for. If he succeeded, Arthur would be lauded for his choice of knights. Win-win. Arthur grimaced. Well, what was done was done. He just hoped the kid was up to the task. Now, he should have a seat at the dinner. With the rest of his cohort, it... There was another noise at the door, yelling from outside. People rose one by one, and a knight came rushing in. He didn't care what Arthur was doing. He had to see the king. Arthur waved off the knights who stopped the man, and the stranger bowed low. Please, the stranger said. They needed help. As it turned out, two of Arthur's nobles were having a bit of a fight. It's like when two siblings are hitting each other in the back seat, but with way more lances and death. The king of Northumbria was going to war with the Lady of Nohat, this knight's master. He said that the lady begged aid, or for Arthur to tell the king of Northumbria to knock it off. Because the king of Northumbria agreed, if Arthur got involved, to a battle of champions, one-on-one, two-on-two, three-on-three, however many famed knights of the round table Arthur sent, he would match with his own, and whoever won would take the territory. I guess he was a bloodthirsty conqueror, but he wasn't, like, a jerk about it. Arthur stroked his beard. Well, this was a development, huh? Yes, of course he would send a knight. And... New guy, who had already kind of overstretched himself today. You have your hand raised. How can I help you? The boy rose. He would do it. He would go help the Lady of Nohat. And he would do so alone. Arthur nodded. That was nice. Also, no he wouldn't. He was like a little baby knight, and this was the fate of one of his most important vassals. Sit down. The boy wouldn't, though. He insisted on it. He knew how this worked, and he knew that if Arthur refused him now, on his first request as a knight, it would bring shame to the boy's whole career. Arthur's top knights, Yvain and Gawain, informed the king of this. Arthur bit his lip and swore. Seriously? They shrugged. Seriously, that's how it worked. Arthur took a deep breath and sat back. Ugh, this kid. He turned to the knight and said that this kid was his man then. If the Lady of Nohot was worried at all, notice the wink, send word to Arthur, and he would send reinforcements. The knight was wide-eyed. Arthur was sure it was just like the future of his people. All of his loved ones risked being conquered if Arthur was wrong, but no, just let politeness be your guide. He turned to the boy. He would meet the kid at the stables. 
we'll see the boy come to terms with life outside of Camelot. But once again, that will be right after this. The boy rode from Camelot. A few days after he rode up to it, his life had been changed forever. He had been made a knight. He had not one but two quests. And he had met her. He had stopped by her room one more time to say goodbye. He gazed at her, trying to burn her face into his mind. He could barely speak but to say goodbye. But the queen, Guinevere, marveled at his bravery. Not just daring to free the wounded knight, but leaving his own feast to become the king's champion in a far-off war. He managed to ask her if he might be seen as her knight. She smiled. Of course. When he had gazed as long as he dared, he had bowed low and said his goodbye. Yvain then realized that the king hadn't yet girded the boy with the sword and begged the young man to stop. The boy looked down. Oh, rats. Okay. He would go get his sword from his squire. He told Gavain to wait there. He would be right back. He rode out for the camp, finding three men, the squire, the page, and the knight of Nohat waiting for him. He said that they were leaving immediately. He took one last look at Camelot, smiled, and mounted his horse. His adventure began today. The boy was roused from thought when a tree branch slapped him in the face. It said that he was jolted out of his brooding. He was a teenager after all. He was already missing his crush. He then realized, wait, branch? What was this? Why weren't they on the road? Was this a shortcut? No, the other knight whispered. Don't worry about it. The boy drew one of his squire's swords and held it to the knight's neck, demanding that the man tell him, now. The knight rolled his eyes. This kid had some fantastic people skills. Well, if he really had to know, and generally when you're holding a sword to the necks of the people who want to help you, then yeah, you're moderately serious about getting the information, then he should know that, camped out along the road, there was a knight guarding a lady. The knight had talked to the knight of Nohat on his way to Camelot. It was this whole thing where he harassed anyone who passed. The knight was a foot and a half taller than anyone living right now, and oh yeah, the knight escorting the boy needed to get back home to save his kingdom, so they were going around. The boy inspected the sword in his hand and dismounted. If the knight wanted to be a coward, he could. But as for the boy, he was going to confront this knight along the road. Why? Why would you do that? You're three quests deep now. This is like Inception, but it's even more confusing. The knight whisper yelled and then stomped on the ground. This was ridiculous. Yeah, no, the giant knight said to the boy outside the tent. <laughs> so you're cowering in fear from my challenge, the boy barked. No, you're, you're a child. Like, I wouldn't fight a baby. That just, what would that do for me? No one's like, oh, great job on defeating that baby. They're like, why are you fighting babies? The knight said. Now the boy should get lost. The boy said that he wouldn't stand for that type of talk. He challenged, you challenged me already. I said no. 
because they don't fight children. Now be quiet because my lady is napping in this tent, the knight said. The boy's shoulders slumped. Well, could he at least see the lady? He could just peek in when she was sleeping. The knight grimaced. Ew, you little creep. No, but if you sit over there, just out of bow shot, you can see her when she wakes up. A smug grin contorted the boy's face. This was a win. He thanked the knight for letting him look at the pretty lady, and he went to go take a seat. A couple hours passed as the boy reclined on a log, not returning to the night in the woods, because who wants to have that conversation? And then he heard some giggling. The boy sat up straight. Ooh, it's a lady. They were ladies, actually. The boy smirked as he ran his fingers through his hair. Ladies, what's up? As it turned out, they were laughing at him. (laughs) Is this him? The first woman asked. The other nodded. Oh yeah, it was him. (laughs) The boy nodded back. His reputation preceded him. Nice. The one that was scared of the big night and wouldn't go see our lady, the other asked. The boy's smile evaporated. Wait, wait, what? The women giggled and ran off into the forest. The boy yelled out that that wasn't fair. He just made an agreement with an older man on the best time to watch a woman sleep without her knowledge or consent. Then he realized, one, that sounds terrible. And two, he actually didn't fight the knight because, yes, he was scared. He rose and rushed to the tent, throwing open the flap, but it was empty. The night was gone, and the woman had gone with him. Well, at least that's over and we can get back on the road, the knight from Nohot said. When the boy returned to him and the horses, he told the boy to pack up. They lost a lot of time there and, oh my gosh, you have to be kidding me. The boy was standing arms crossed. No, he wasn't going anywhere. He had said he was going to get a look at this beautiful lady, and he was going to get a look at this beautiful lady. Once he started a quest, he wasn't going to shirk from it. The quest that you started, the knight from Nohot said, was saving my kingdom. No one made you do it. You accepted it, and Arthur gave it to you. Finish that one first. The other is literally looking at a woman that a guy told you you couldn't look at. It is normal and okay to not be able to watch strangers sleep if they don't want you to. But the boy shook his head. He had vowed to do something, and he would do it before he did that other thing he vowed to do all under the umbrella of a third and more vague thing he vowed to do when he pulled all the weapons from that stinky knight. The knight from Nohot said, stinky knight? But the boy simply dismissed him, saying that he would be to Nohot before the battle took place. The knight from Nohot tried to argue with the kid, but... Seeing how stubborn and resolute he was in his ignorance of honor and quests, the knight said it was obviously better to warn his kingdom of their immediate destruction. Soon, the boy and his squire and page were alone for, like, five minutes. Psst, hey, they heard from the trees. The boy and his helpers turned to see another knight there. The boy greeted him, and the knight strode out, his armor shining and his resolve a little sleazy. Did, uh... Did they want to see a beautiful woman? The boy lit up. He was on that quest as well. The knight said, no, not that one. He talked with the knight of Nohot as the guy rode away, and he knew about that quest. No, he was talking about a different beautiful woman. If a boy went with him to look at this other damsel, the knight would show the boy how to find the lady and the knight that got away from him. And yeah, another quest. I don't know, like cats, four quests kind of seems to be the upper limit on too many quests. Four cats is too many cats, but just the right amount of quests, the other knight replied with a grin. All right, 
Now off to go look at some ladies. I thought you said look at ladies, the boy said, as he stared on the island prison cell. Just look. At ladies. Plural. Not gawk at the singular woman in jail. The knight gestured to the jail cell. That woman out there, she was being held prisoner. She was taken each morning from the cell by a pair of knights and deposited back there each evening. 2v1? That was a no-go. But together, they might be able to take the woman. So the knight couldn't marry her. The boy was still catching up. Wait, he was marrying her now? With her consent, right? (laughs) The knight laughed. Someone was new to medieval society. (laughs) Sure, yeah, with her consent. The two men rode to the small home on the plot of land that jutted out into a lake, splashing across the narrow creek that technically made it an island. Then they sat atop their horses, across from the two knights with the lady in tow. The boy pulled his lance and pointed it at the knights, yelling out to the woman to fear not. They were here to rescue. But he didn't get to finish that sentence because the woman screamed for her knights to take up their shields and lances. These two men were here to take her away. The boy lowered his shield. Wait, take her away? Were were they kidnapping this woman? He turned to the other knight. Are we the baddies? And that was the last thing he did before an enemy lance tore through his armor at the shoulder, impaling him. And that's how we died. The end. Because we started a series on an obvious night of destiny, open up all the quests, and have him finish none of them. No, next week we'll continue this story of this injured but not dying young man. If you'd like to support the show, there's still a membership thing on the site. For less than the price of one human incisor for sale online for some reason, you can get extra episodes and ad-free versions of the show that aren't human remains you can buy online and thus are not restricted to various import and human rights laws. Check out support.mythpodcast.com for more info on the membership. The creature this week is the hairy mountain child from Japanese folklore. The Amawaro are creatures resembling hairy cyclops boys, approximately 10 years of age. They live in the woods. Unlike most hairy naked creatures encountered on the Creature of the Week segment, the Yamawaro don't really want to hurt you. I mean, they will hurt you if you try to capture them. Like, you'll instantly contract the plague, suddenly go insane, or just die unexpectedly. Though, if you're intentionally harassing mythological creatures in the dark forest, is it really that unexpected? If you don't make horrible choices, the Yamawaro might actually help you out. They have been known to aid woodcutters carrying their goods, but you have to get the payment right, in amount and in timing. If they are expecting more than you give at the end of the job, they'll get annoyed and never come back. If you pay them up front, they'll take off with or without the food. It looks like the right payment is one ball of rice for taking your stuff to your house, but then they might just rob your house, as they've been known to do. If they don't rob you, they'll break into your house for other reasons. Naps and baths. Yeah, it turns out that your house is a nice little staycation B&B for the Yamawaro, which, if you don't mind guests, might not be bad. If only they took more of those baths 
You see, the hair of the Yamawaro is incredibly greasy, and it has hair all over its body, so your bed? Slimy. Your bathtub? Slick. It will leave a ring you can't scrub out. Also, don't let them catch you walking your cow or horse. I don't know why, but they bitterly hate cows and horses, and far from avoiding them, they will attack them on sight. The Yamawaro are kind of a mixed bag, so I would avoid them. Definitely don't take them up on sumo wrestling if you meet them on the roadside, because despite their size, they are awesome at it. Though I feel like if you need me to tell you to avoid sumo wrestling strangers you meet on the side of the road, good luck! That's it for this week. Myths and Legends is by Jason and Carissa Weiser. Our theme song is by Broke for Free, and the Creature of the Week music is by Steve Combs. There are links to even more music in the show notes. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next time.